Here's God's word. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 16. We'll make our way to the end of the passage uh, this morning. It says this, Paul writes, But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you on his own accord. With him we are going to send the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching for the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of God, uh, for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about the generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim what is honorable not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters. But who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for his benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. They so give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. The question we're asking this morning is why is integrity important? I think the first answer that comes to my mind is integrity is important because the exact opposite, the lack of integrity, is so disastrous. In fact, the article was written in the Los Angeles Times that speaks of a pastor and his pastor's son who decided to steal $1 million from the church that they were serving at. Not only did they steal $1 million, but then they misspent another $3 million in church expenses. So over a five-year program, this father-son pastor duo owned six houses, two timeshares, Mercedes and a Cadillac, plus they had their entire children's college education paid through the church. As you can imagine, this was a disaster. A disaster, first of all, to the church they were serving at. A church that, that, that could not survive after this disaster took place. Too many hurt feelings, too many people who leave. And, and then on top of that, kind of the, what this church began to be known for within the community. They can never overcome it. Everybody knew this church as the pastor-son duo who stole millions of dollars from the church. And this church is no longer in, ex- in existence because of these two and their lack of integrity. And right then, you begin to see the disaster, but it wasn't even just this church, but it was another church as well. These two men went to prison. After getting out of prison, the, one of the, 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 the father of the two, he began to go serve at his son's church, and they had him speak. And what does this man speak on? Generosity and giving to the church. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. The man who stole over $4 million from the local church is talking about generosity and giving to the church. And let me tell you, that church is no longer in existence as well. I'm not saying it's all due to this one act of having him speak on generosity, but I am saying it's a large part. The reason I know this is because I was called the candidate at this church to be their next senior pastor. And one of the main reasons I turned them down was because of this act. Destruction. Two churches. 
destroyed by a lack of integrity. And not only that, but we have to see all the other people who heard this story from the news. And immediately their, their inclination, their kind of thoughts about this, whether it's conscience or not conscience, they're, they're beginning to doubt the local church. Many hearing these stories begin to wonder, is this what all pastors do? Is this what my pastor does? doesn't matter how honest and trustworthy their pastor is. These, these actions, the lack of integrity amongst one, now begins to affect all of us. reason why integrity is important, because the lack of integrity is so disastrous. So this reason, Paul turns his attention this morning to the topic of integrity. Paul wants to make sure that when he's dealing with this collection, that that he is above reproach. That there's nobody who can throw a a false statement his way. He, He wants to make sure he's honorable and full of integrity in all matters. So therefore, what we'll see in the passage this morning is he kind of puts fences, he puts extra boundaries, he, he goes out of his way to ensure that integrity takes place. In fact, we find ourselves, again, in the, the section of Scripture called the collection. Collection is, again, Paul's kind of fundraising kind of technique was he was doing among the churches to raise money and support for the poor that were taking place in Jerusalem. There's a fam that went out. There's people who are struggling for money. So what he did is he went to all the other churches that he planted. He says, hey, would you be willing to give to this collection to be able to go and deliver to the Jerusalem poor? Well, the problem with the 1 Corinthians that we saw last week is 1 Corinthians 16. He, he calls them to give. But for some reason, from 1 Corinthians 16 into 2 Corinthians, they don't. They stop. They had full intention, but for some reason they stopped giving, so here he comes back to them and calls them to action. But the the question we ask is, why did they stop? Many scholars believe one of the reasons they stopped is because some of the false accusations that were coming their way from the false teachers that were stepping into the churches in 2 Corinthians. These churches came in, and what they were saying is kind of saying, well, Paul is selfish, that Paul is, is... taking this money, and he's really not giving to Jerusalem floor, he's keeping it for himself. And imagine the hurt that comes from these statements. Imagine the hurt from accusations that you know are so false and so contrary to your own character. That's, that's Paul. Right? Paul is the exact opposite of somebody who's selfish. But Paul is the exact opposite of somebody who would steal money from the local church. Here, here's a man who sacrifices on, on, on so many different occasions for other people. Here, here's the most other-centered person that you can find, and yet these accusations are thrown his way, which tells us that in our pursuit of integrity, it won't stop the accusations from coming. But here's what integrity does. It makes sure those accusations don't stick. You hear that, 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 that in our pursuit of integrity, the accusations are still going to come, but they won't stick because we live lives who are full, that are above reproach, and, 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 and in a pursuit of, of living these lives of honesty and integrity. So in our aim of what we're seeing is, yes, these accusations still come Paul's way. He's, he's still having to deal with them. So what we see Paul do is he, he goes above the measure and he makes sure that these accusations don't stick. 
And early on, I, I remember how these kind of this, this idea that people can call false accusations your way and they can say all sorts of things, doesn't matter how truthful they are, they can still throw them. And it, meant, it used to mess me up. I remember accusations thrown to, to some pastors who, who I knew to be some of the most honest men, and yet they're still receiving these accusations. I'm thinking, like, what is happening? But we begin to see why it's so important to pursue integrity. Because our aim in our pursuit of integrity is not to the people who are throwing the accusations. Man, they're going to throw the accusations no matter what. And our aim for integrity is for the glory of God. And our aim for integrity is for our family members, our companions, the local church, so that they can see when the accusations are thrown our way, they will not stick, and they can have full trust in who we are as individuals. In fact, we see this to be the case in Paul's life as well. For in verses, four to six, uh, rather, verses 16 to 19, Paul is going to go through the steps that he goes about to ensure that he's a man of integrity with this collection when he's collecting the money for the Jerusalem poor. So he tells us the steps, the extra kind of precaution, these fences. He, he talks about them in verses six to, uh, 16 to 19, but notice what he does in verse 20 to 21. He gives us the reason why he goes and he takes these extra steps. He gives us the reason for our pursuit of integrity. Notice what he says again in verses 20 to 21. He says, we take this course so that, that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. So notice what he says. His pursuit of integrity is for two purposes. To do what is honorable in the sight of God, and to do what is honorable in the sight of man. This morning, I kind of want to reverse the order. One of the reasons why I want to reverse the order is because I see a direct connection with doing what is honorable in the sight of man, and how that automatically brings honor to God. So what I want to see is I want to I look at how Paul is trying to do what is honorable in the sight of man, and what he does about it, because that's important. Again, he is carrying a large amount. Verse 20 again says, we take this course of action so that nobody should blame us about this, catch this next word, this generous gift. That generous word can be translated as lavish, abundant. I mean, we're talking about a large amount of money. Not talking about just a couple dollar bills that he's collecting for the poor. No, this is a large amount. And because it's a large amount, Paul understands that all eyes are going to be directed on him. He understands there's room for accusations to, to come his way. So what does Paul do? He goes through these extra steps, these extra precautions to make sure that he's doing what is honorable in the sight of man as he goes about with this collection. And that's important. Again, what's the reason? Verse 20, that nobody should blame us. Nobody should criticize us. Nobody should kind of to, to, to find fault with us. Paul is making sure that in his actions... That everything he does is honorable. And what I love about Paul is he doesn't have to do this. And there's no command telling him that he has to go this way. But he's, he's making sure he's taking these extra steps to ensure that no accusations come his way. And when they do come their way, they will not stick. So notice what we see in this passage. And notice the measures he goes about because they're found in verses 16 to 19. First of all, the measures he goes is he's very clear in what he's collecting for. He tells us what he's collecting for in verse 19. That he's carrying out this grace gift 
for the glory of God and for the honor of these men. He's doing it for them, the Jerusalem poor. So he's very clear in his attentions. But secondly, what we see him do is he makes sure that he's not the only one who touches the money. I mean, he gives, and we see it's one plus three other men, so four total who's dealing with this collection. We see him call Titus. We see him call this other man who's known for his being well-known among those who are preaching the gospel. And then we see in verse 22 a man that Paul picks himself. So notice he's not the only one. There's mutual accountability takes place because there's mutual people touching the money. And we do the same thing here. When we collect the offering, it's not just one person who collects it and then takes it to the bank. We have multiple people who record it so that there's honor among us so that we're doing what is honorable and above reproach and full of integrity. Second thing we do, or third thing we see him do, is he uses men of good reputation. Not only does he have multiple people, but the people he chooses are a good reputation. We see it in Titus. Titus was well-known among the church of Corinth. Here's a man who visited the Corinthians themselves. He, he was a man who, who they knew his reputation because they saw it firsthand. A man who was, was, was we're told in the text, a man of, of great honor. And this man was actually the one who was voted among them to be chosen. We believe he's voted among actually the Corinthian church because back in 1 Corinthians 16, we're told that Paul says, hey, you choose somebody and who you choose, I'm going to use to be able to take this collection. We believe that's Titus. Not only does he pick Titus, who has, was well known for his reputation among the Corinthian people, but we see this other man who says he's famous among you as pre- pre- preaching the gospel. We're, we're, we understand he's so famous, Paul doesn't even have to mention his name. Who is this man? Well, the text doesn't tell us, so we'll just leave it at that. But what we do know, again, is he's, he was famous for his work amongst preaching the gospel. Man who is well known for a good reputation of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. A man who once again had honor, one who was, was, was uh, chosen. Um, so, so what we see is again, here's a man of reputable reputation to carry this gift. Um, and, 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 and then lastly we see in verse 22 that Paul's one who actually, Paul chooses this other man. We're told this man also had a good reputation. One who was tested by Paul. One who was diligent in their matters. So what we see is Paul chooses individuals who are well-known for their reputation. Stellar reputation, above reproach, people who could be trusted fully with carrying this money. And what I love about this is notice the benefit that comes from these extra steps. Notice what these extra steps, who they benefit, because it's more than just one individual that gets the benefit of, of a life of integrity. First of all, we see that it's the Corinthian people themselves who benefit. Imagine being able to give fully without having your conscience deal, well, is, are they going to treat my money fairly? Where is this money going? No, these, these Corinthians could give without hesitation, with great joy in their hearts, because they knew that their money was being held with great honor and being spent for the glory of God. And what a difference that makes. I can imagine my, my own life of experiencing reputable churches and reputable organizations in which you can give with great joy. It's in these moments we experience the verse that, yes, it's better to give than to receive. Experience it my, my, myself. I, I, I give to an organization, Hume Lake Christian Camps. Here's, a, here's an organization, and if I've seen firsthand, I've seen the leadership. I know the leadership, by, by, but one of them used to be my old boss, my good friend. I've seen their good reputation about how they spend money and how they lead students to the, to the glory of coming to know Jesus Christ. 
So therefore, when I give to this organization, there is no hesitancy on my part. In fact, it's my great joy. There's no burden in my heart. Because here's an organization that has great integrity. But we all know the exact opposite, don't we? We, we know those churches that, that spend extravagantly and lavishly. They, they spend in ways that are, are not honorable and how difficult it is, almost impossible, to give to these organizations. So first we see the benefit of the giver, of a life of integrity. Specifically here, it blesses the Corinthians that they can give without hesitation. Next, it blesses the Jerusalem poor, right? His integrity allows this money to actually reach them. Without Paul being a man of integrity, the Corinthians aren't giving, and therefore the, the, the Jerusalem poor would never receive the money. Or if he lacks integrity and he begins to steal the money, again, it never reaches the Jerusalem poor. So we see there's a blessing for the Corinthian church. There's a blessing and a gift given to uh, the, the Jerusalem poor because of Paul's integrity. But lastly, what we see is imagine the integrity by those who are surrounding Paul in community. Imagine the gift of Paul, his, his integrity, how it blesses those who are surrounding him, his friends, his family, his, his church. It's been said that, that integrity allows you to, to really sleep good at night, and because of Paul's integrity, all those surrounding him, when these accusations are, are thrown his way, they, they can sleep assured knowing here's a man who took the extra measures to be above reproach. You see, one of the greatest gifts that we can give our family and our spouse is a life of integrity. The greatest gift that you can give your children is a life of integrity. And we see that in Paul. But here's the thing. What I've been noticing within the American church is, yes, we, we, we understand these, these kind of extra measures when it comes to money. But, but there's, a, there's a hesitancy when it comes to other areas of our life. I think we'd all agree these extra measures that Paul is taking making sure that he's not the only one touching the money and, and making sure that he's picking people of good reputation, ones they even voted in. All these are good things, and we say, yes, measures that are important. But for some reason, when it comes to other areas of our life, in our pursuit of purity and holiness, there's sometimes a hesitancy to be able to go out and pursue these extra measures to ensure our integrity. But yet they're so important. Specifically for those in leadership. Those for us in leadership, there's been this distrust among the church today. In fact, they just did a study in 2020 in which it said those who are 55 and older believe their clergy, their pastors, only 50% of them, or 51% of these 55 and older believe that their, their pastors are people of integrity, people that can be trusted fully. Only 50%. Guess what? That number drastically shoots down for those of the age of 18 to 34. The number goes down to 24% of those between the age of 18 to 34 believe their pastors, their clergy can be trusted. That's a drastic difference from what we've seen in the, age, uh, what we've seen in the past. And what, what we begin to see is, yes, I think you would all agree that, that I should take some extra measures in my life to ensure my integrity so that you can fully trust me. But why aren't we doing these extra steps as well? Well, why aren't we going the extra measure to pursue a life of integrity when it comes to these matters? But be, before we talk about what these extra measures could be for our own life, we have to understand that they're not commanded in Scripture. Like Paul, when he tells us to deal with money, 
There is no command to deal with it in appalling fashion and making sure that extra people touch the money and all these things, right? There's, there's no command here. But, but there is wisdom in saying maybe this is the wise way to go. So, the, so there is no command, and because there is no command, we have to understand we have to have grace when we're discussing these extra measures, these fences, these, these ways of protection that we want to place into our own life. So some people will choose to use them, some people will not. Based off of their education, based off their preferences, based off their upbringing, based off their leadership position. There's wisdom in some people choosing this and that, but there is no command. So to make sure that we're not legalistic when we're talking about these extra measures, we have to understand there's grace. Some people will say, yes, I want to use them. Some people will say, no. Wisdom tells us that there's benefits to these extra measures. So let me tell you what these benefits might be. First benefit of living a life in integrity and kind of putting these extra measures that Paul puts in is, first of all, it protects us even from the sight of evil. These measures, these extra precautions, they protect us even from the sight of, of evil or the appearance of evil. One who's best well known for this is Billy Graham. You're probably familiar, or at least some of you are familiar, with what they call the Billy Graham rule. Uh, Billy Graham, early on in his ministry, he decided he was going to have these extra precautions, these fences, these, these kind, of, kind of guidelines in his life to ensure that there's not even the appearance of evil that, that's, that's, a, that's a, a part of his life. So what did he do? Early on, he decided that he wasn't going to collect his money. What they used to do is man would come out for an evangelistic crusade, he would take the money and kind of put it on his car seat and head home. Well, Billy Graham realized the bigger the crusades get, having a big bag of money upon his seat is probably not a good look. So what he decided, he had a board that decided a set salary for him. All that money went to the board first, and then the money would come with a set salary back to Billy Graham. He wanted to be above reproach so that nobody could accuse him of stealing this money or taking too much money or whatever it was. Second thing he did is there was kind of concern about making crusades geared towards the local church. But if you're going to have people come to, to know Jesus Christ, where do you want them to, to be? Within the local church. So he made sure that every crusade he had was partnered with the local church. Again, being above reproach so the local church couldn't come and accuse him of being against it. Third thing he did is he made sure that when they talked to the media, they were accurate in their numbers. There's room for exaggeration with crusades, right? So many people came to faith. He made sure his people, they only gave the accurate numbers. So again, they couldn't be accused of, of exaggerating or expanding the numbers. And lastly, what we're probably, what, what he's most well known for is the rule that he had according to the, the, the opposite sex. Billy Graham made sure that he never traveled. He was never in a room alone with the opposite sex other than his wife. This was his, his rule. Made sure that every time he went to dinner, it wasn't alone with the opposite sex unless it was his wife. So there's always somebody else in the room when he was dealing with the opposite sex. And what do we see? We see the benefits of this. Here's a man who's one of the most well-known Christians of his time. All eyes were geared on him, but yet what do we see? Not even a hint of, of a scandal that showed up in his life. Though not even a hint of a scandal because he lived a life above reproach. Here's a man of integrity. So yes, it, it, it allowed him to live a life. He avoided even the appearance of evil. Second thing we see that what this does, does these boundaries do, is they protect us against unnecessary fights against temptation. Putting up these boundaries in our life protects us against unnecessary fights against temptation. 
The question we ask is this. Could Paul deliver the money without putting the extra precautions in? Of course. He didn't need the extra precautions. He was a man who of honesty and integrity already. He probably could have delivered this money by himself, and it would have been perfectly fine. It would have arrived in Jerusalem. But why? Why go to fight against the battle with temptation when you don't have to? Like so often there's so many battles and temptation in our lives. Why, why wouldn't we put up these extra fences, these boundaries to protect us from that temptation that might come? So what we see is it protects us against the unnecessary fights against temptation. So why wouldn't we have the filter on our phone making sure that we're not looking at things that we shouldn't be looking at? Well, why wouldn't we put in the extra precautions when it's dealing with the opposite sex? Why, why wouldn't we do these extra things? Again, there is no rule to say we have to, but wisdom says that some of these things protect us against the appearance of evil, protect us against unnecessary fights, against temptation, and thirdly, what these extra kind of boundaries and kind of precautions, it protects our family from worry. It protects them, allows them to sleep good at night. Again, Brian Loritz says integrity is the best sleeping pill you can have. Your, your family needs that gift from you, that they can be able to sleep sure at night knowing sure that, that there is no accusations being thrown. If, if there is, they, get, they, they, don't, they don't stick. In fact, I've taken some of these extra precautions in the pastor, and you probably say, yeah, I probably should take them. I'll tell you, one of the things that I have done to ensure my integrity amongst our family, the body of Christ, is I don't drink alcohol. I know, and I, again, my choice, you don't have to follow it. There is no command saying you cannot drink alcohol. Jesus drank alcohol, he turned water into wine. But one of the things I have done, and, and I'll tell you the reason why I, I choose not to drink alcohol, is because there's a fine line between drunkenness and not being drunk. In other words, if you saw me at a restaurant and you saw me have a glass of, of whatever, alcohol, on the table... And you begin to see me begin to act a little bit more extra excited or maybe uh, a little more full of jokes that night. Your question is, is it the alcohol that made him change his personality or was he just having a good day? You, you just don't know. So there's room for accusation. There's room for you to, to, to maybe misinterpret that. Or maybe I step or I stumble going to the bathroom. Your question is, is, is he, is he drank too much that night and he stumbled or did he just not tie his shoes tight enough and he stumbled to the bathroom again? You don't know. So one of the gifts I give you is to make sure that you never have to worry about that because I don't even take a sip of alcohol. One of the gifts I've given you, and it's a gift to my family as well, because my kids just the other day, they asked the question about my father. They asked, is, is, did my father ever get drunk? Uh, and, 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 and I don't know how to answer that because he drank a ton of alcohol, and in many ways he was an alcoholic. There's many times he was drunk. So yes, I have to say yes, there's many times in which his life he, he get, did drunk. But here's the thing I can give my children. That if their grandchildren ever ask him about me, whether I got drunk, they can have assurance, a matter of fact, that that has never happened in my life. Again, not a command. But it is a gift, some of these extra precautions that you can gift your family. Making sure that you have a filter on your phone. A gift you can give your family that your wife never has to worry about what you're watching or what you're looking at upon your phone. So it's a gift that we can give our family. Let me tell you this. They're not fool foolproof. And we've seen from Ravi Zacharias, some of the precautions we put in, they're not foolproof. But what they do do is they create a habit in our life 
that begins to, to point us towards a walkway towards integrity. See, the pathway to integrity as we begin to, to walk is integrity is a long walk, long walk in the same direction with obedience. So as we're pursuing integrity, what these habits do is they become the, what I like to call them as the trail guides as our walk and our path towards holiness. The illustration with these trail guides, these kind of extra precautions are so important here. Because again, the question we ask is, can I reach my final destination on the trail without the guardrails? Absolutely. Right? I, I can make my way to the destination without having guardrails on the trail. I just noticed that in Pinehurst the other day. There's no guardrails on their, pl- on their trails. You can walk assured. You can reach it to your destination without the guardrails. Here's the thing, though. As I'm walking the other night upon the, this trail, what I noticed is that there's poison ivy everywhere. So what am I worried about? The entire time, I'm thinking, did, did, did my daughter just brush her leg against the poison ivy? Did my son just accidentally kind of, they're literally just on the side of the rail there. Did they just brush their legs? So I'm always in my mind contemplating, did they step in poison ivy or not? Imagine if there's guardrails. Guardrails upon this trail, I don't even have to think about that concern. I don't even have to worry about them stepping into the poison ivy because these guardrails protect them. This is what these extra precautions do. We can make it to our destination without them, but what they assure in our own lives is that we never touch the poison ivy. It's assurance to our family that they don't have to worry if we're touching the poison ivy of sin in our lives because these guardrails have protected us and it brings assurance to their life. Again, not foolproof, but I do see them as kind of the guardrails to protect us in our life as we pursue holiness and a life of integrity. Last benefit I see, it's for the glory of God. Back in verse 20, he says, again, what is he doing? He does this all for the glory of God. Again, there's this direct correlation in being able to do what is appropriate in in the sight of man. And and it, it reflects the glory of God. Because the exact opposite is true. If I'm not living a life of integrity, if people are accusing me of of, of whatever it might be, you're not able to see the glory of Christ through my life. So Paul says, I don't want that to happen. I want to assure every time you look at me, there's no accusations coming your way so that you can see the glory of Christ through me. And these extra precautions, they simply begin to allow other people to not be hindered by anything else in our lives. Again, is there commands? There is no command telling Paul to do this. Is there a command telling us not to drink? No, there's not a command. Is there a command telling us to put a filter or something on our phone? No, there's not a command. Is there is a command telling us to, to maybe look more appropriate at our screen time and not get stuck up and scrolling? No, there is no commands. But is there wisdom in doing some of these things? Probably. We do it for the glory of God. Not legalist in it. We don't think we're more holy because we have one and you don't, or I choose to drink alcohol or you don't. means none of that. Simply what God has called me to do. A gift that I have given you and my family that I could be able to allow them to see the glory of Christ through. We do this for the glory of God. Again, one of the greatest gifts that you can give your family is a life of integrity so that they can look at you and see the glory of Christ through your life. Are you willing to pursue integrity for that fact? I pray you are. God, I'm thankful Thankful for the sacrifice that Paul was willing to put in his life for the honor of doing what is appropriate in the sight of man and doing what is appropriate in the sight of you.
He served an audience of one. Many times he didn't have to go through these extra steps, but he chose to do it for the love of his congregation. I pray that many times that we would be able to leave this place knowing there's simply we just ask your spirit, what would you have us what was due to, to some of these things? God, what, what, what you would call us, what would you imprint upon our hearts as we pursue holiness with everything we have? God, most of all, we just want people to see your love, your kindness, your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness. So God, I pray that our church would pursue holiness with everything we have. That we wouldn't walk after it, but we would sprint after wanting to be obedient to your commands. Lord, give us grace in this. Lord, let us be people of grace amongst other people, not think we're more holy than somebody else because we have this thing in place and others don't. Let us be people of grace that we please you in all things. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.